Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. Today's message was given by Pastor DJ Ritchie on July 4th, 2021, during our Sunday morning service. We have services multiple times throughout the week, and we would love to see you at one of them. They are Sunday school at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 7 p.m., and Wednesday evening service at 6.30 p.m. We want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get into it. It's been said that we see the world not as it is, but as we are. Have you heard that? There's a lot of truth to that. It's very difficult for us to set aside our preconceptions, our prejudices, our biases, things that we've been taught that may not be true. It's very hard for us sometimes to set those things aside and to see reality. The Greek word for reality is translated in our New Testaments as the word truth. And God has given us His Word for truth, so that we would know the truth. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus reveals to us who God really is. He reveals to us who we really are, what life is really all about. And He's given us His Word to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God wants us to see the world not as we are, but as it really is. And he wants us to see the world according to his truth, not our truth. Nevertheless, we take these biases with us to the word of God as well. And so even though God has revealed truth to us in his word, many times because of our preconceptions, because of our biases, Because of things that we've been taught that may not be true, we sometimes have a difficult time seeing God's truth, even in God's Word. Ken Ham, who's the founder of Answers in Genesis, a a great ministry. I I love Ken and, and his ministry. Ken likes to say that we need to put on our biblical glasses. And that is absolutely true. It's absolutely vital. But I have found, as I know you have found if you have glasses, that if your glasses are blurry, if they're smudged, if they have something on them, then putting your glasses on doesn't help very much. And so if we're going to allow God's Word to be the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path that God has designed it to be, that God has given it to us to be, we have to make sure that we are seeing God's Word clearly that we are listening to what God is actually saying. All of us have preconceptions. All of us have prejudices that we bring with us to God's Word, and we have to be diligent to rightly divide the Word of truth, to hear what God has to say, to set aside what we think God is saying to us and to listen to what He is actually saying to us and one of those key passages that we need to really be diligent in setting aside our preconceptions 
as we saw last week, is Romans chapter 11. I want you to go back with me to Romans chapter 11. Lord willing, we will finish up not only Romans chapter 11, but our little series within a series within a series today on election, God's choosing of people for specific purposes, choosing not for salvation but for service. We saw it in Isaiah 42.1, the righteous servant is the elect one, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the righteous servant sent on earth, sent to earth, here on earth, he came with a mission and he fulfilled that mission when he was here. To die for our sins in our place, to shed his blood as the one and only all-sufficient payment for sin and to rise from the dead so that through his conquest of sin and death, we can receive by his grace victory over sin and death too. And we, when our, we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our sole substitute, as we trust in him as our only savior, we repent of our sin, we ask Jesus to forgive us and save us based on not what we have done, but what he has already done. His life, his resurrection becomes our life and our resurrection. And his payment for sin covers all of our sin and not just covers it. It removes it as far as the east is from the west. And God has then in him chosen us. And when we are in Christ, when we are in the chosen one, we experience what it's like to be chosen by God as well. We are chosen. Jesus is chosen. Certain angels are chosen. Paul calls them the elect angels. Chosen again, not for salvation, but for service for a purpose. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking at how all of this is modeled for us in God's choosing of the nation of Israel. Choosing them again, not for salvation, because most of Israel is not saved. Most of Israel has not been saved. But in spite of their unbelief, they remain the chosen nation of God, the elect nation. And as we saw in Romans 9 and 10, they retain the promises of God given to the fathers. Because when God makes a promise, it's not dependent on our goodness, but his goodness. When God makes a promise, it's not dependent on our faithfulness, but on his faithfulness. And so last week, we, as we entered into Romans chapter 11, we saw two things about Israel's election. The election of grace and Israel's destiny. Today, we're going to conclude looking at Israel's destiny. But last week, we saw, verses 1 through 10, Israel's place in God's plan. And we saw, verses 1 through 10, Paul is emphatic... In fact, he uses one of the strongest expressions he could in the Greek, translated in the King James as God forbid, the Greek word meganoito, may it never be. He asks in verse 1, I say that hath God cast away his people, God forbid, may it never be. I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew what you know not that the scriptures say for Elias, how we make intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I, God says, I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then at this present time also there is a remnant according 
to the election of grace. And if by grace, and then it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise work is no more work. Israel's place in God's plan is secure. God's faithfulness secures it. God's foreknowledge of the nation of Israel secures it. We've seen over the last several weeks, the word foreknowledge simply means to know before. All God is saying here, all Paul is is communicating to us from God is that God has known Israel from the beginning. God is not surprised by their unbelief. God is not unfamiliar with their rebellious nature. God has foreknown it, and his foreknowledge confirms his faithfulness and his commitment to the promise he made to them. And, of course, his grace or his favor completes it. And, yes, God judges nations, Israel in particular, because with much responsibility comes accountability. And Israel, as the elect nation of God, that's not just a place of blessing, but a place of responsibility. And that's not just a place of responsibility, but a place of accountability. And so Israel is judged more harshly than other nations. He always withholds judgment from the remnant. We saw last week that that word reserved, both in the Hebrew, quoting from 1 Kings chapter 18, and here in the Greek, Romans chapter 11, the word reserved does not mean to choose out. It does, he's not saying that God chose and predestined for salvation 7,000. That's not what the word means, and that's certainly not what he's saying. The word reserved means to leave out. And when we saw in 1 Kings chapter 18 a few months ago and looked at it again last week, we saw that the context of that is the judgment that was going to come on the nation of Israel because of their idolatry and because they were killing the prophets of God. They were persecuting God's prophets. They were rejecting God in His truth. And God said, judgment is going to come, and I'm going to send it by way of sword. Nevertheless, there are 7,000 that are not going to experience that judgment. There are 7,000 that are not going to be facing the death of the sword. I have reserved them. I've left them out because... They have not bowed the knee to Baal. And we saw that God warned through the prophets that, yes, Israel was going to reject Messiah and that those who did reject would be hardened. That's exactly what God did. We also began last week to look at the second aspect of Israel's destiny in Romans chapter 11, and that is the purpose of Israel's fall. God allowed Israel to fall. It's a historical fact. It's a biblical truth. It was a prophetic fact first, and now it's a historical fact, fulfilled prophecy. Israel did reject Messiah as God predicted they would. But why did God allow such a thing? Well, he did it for a purpose. And last week as we closed, we saw that what Israel now rejects, the opportunity to receive God's promises through Messiah, the invitation to be forgiven of sins, the invitation to to have eternal life and to experience forever and ever all of the blessings and promises of God. Those blessings that Israel has rejected through rejecting Messiah, the world may now receive. Most of us here today, if not all of us, are, are Gentiles. And we are here experiencing what it's like to be called a child of God through the grace of God that we receive by faith in God, Jesus Christ. And that's a possibility because of Israel's fall. God is using this time now 
to provoke Israel to emulation or to jealousy. Now, today we're going to continue talking for a few moments about Israel's fall and the purpose of Israel's fall. Israel's fall has a purpose, and I want you to consider that as we look at verses 11 through 24. Salvation unto the Gentiles to provoke Israel. Let's pick it up in verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled, Israel, has Israel stumbled that they should fall? Well, he's not saying fall here in the sense of, of, a, of an event. He's saying fall here in the sense of a permanent event. In the Greek, he's saying, are they going to stay down? Again, God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, that's me, that's most of us. Inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruits be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. Now, one of the key points I want you to understand today from this text. When Israel rejected Messiah, they were temporarily cast away. And what that meant was this. God's judgment on earth was delayed. I want you to think about what would have happened. Go back in time 2,000 years almost. What would have happened if Israel had received Jesus as their Messiah when he came the first time? If the majority had believed instead of rejected? We don't have to wonder. Because we know what will happen when that happens. There is a day coming. Psalm 2 talks about it. Zechariah talks about it. Isaiah prophesied. Daniel chapter 7 describes it. Revelation lays it out for us in very clear terms and many other passages of Scripture I could mention. What is going to happen when they, Israel, look upon Him through whom they have pierced and they mourn for Him as if an only son, and they call upon Jesus as their Messiah, and he will come back for them to rescue them. After seven, Now, it's going to take seven more years of judgment on the nation of Israel that is going to impact not just Israel, but the entire world. Times of tribulation. And the last three and a half of those seven years is going to be the time of Jacob's trouble. It's going to be Jesus says, great tribulation. It's going to escalate. And Jesus said, if I didn't shorten the days, the entire earth is going to be wiped out because of how wicked people are going to be and how great my judgment is going to be on this earth. But when Israel responds to the persecution of Antichrist and they call out to Messiah, he will come back. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're coming back with him. And he's going to come back riding that white horse you can read about in Revelation chapter 19. 
And he's coming back in his glory and his power and vengeance. And he's going to strike down the Antichrist. He's going to wipe out the armies of Antichrist. It will be a horrendous scene, but it will be a glorious day because righteousness will finally reign on earth. Over the whole earth. And Psalm 2 says, He will rule the nations with a rod of iron. When Israel embraces Jesus as Messiah, Jesus Christ will reign forever and ever from the throne of His father David, from Jerusalem, over all the nations of the world. But that kingdom reign will begin with a judgment seat. And everybody's going to get judged who has not yet been judged. Now, if you're in Christ, we're going to be judged years before that. We're going to be judged in heaven. We're not going to be judged here on earth. We're going we're to stand before the Lord and be judged. But the judgment on earth for everyone who is alive, who has not yet been judged, all the nations of the earth are going to be judged. The sheep and the goats are going to be separated to get into the kingdom. Think about if that had happened 2,000 years ago. Would any of us be here? Would any of us be here? Our forefathers, most of our ancestors would have been judged, would have been gone, would have been sent to the lake of fire, sent to, to hell to, to end up in the lake of fire. Because of God's grace, for almost 2,000 years, judgment has been delayed. People have been saved. People have been able to come to Messiah who would not have even been born. And we're able to repent of our sin. And we're able to trust in Jesus Messiah, in His death for our sin, in His resurrection. We're brought into the family of God. We're placed into the King of kings and Lord of lords with all of the rights and privileges of that. And Paul is saying, think of the great grace of God that has been poured out on the entire earth. How many people have been able to be saved because of Israel's fall? Because of the grace of God, working all things together for good. Chapter 8, to them that love God. There is a day coming, though, when there will be no more time to repent. And when judgment will fall. And Paul talks about that warning here in just a moment. But now for 2,000 years and counting, judgment has been delayed. And the Apostle Paul again says, listen, if the casting away of them, verse 15, be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? See, when Israel is ready to call upon Jesus, as their Messiah, we're going to enter into the millennial kingdom. And our, th those who are dead in Christ will be alive, and we who are alive in Christ will be transformed, and we're going to be in, ha we'll have our glorified bodies. We're, we're going to not just live out there somewhere, we're going to live here with Jesus on this earth. And it's going to be a time of utopia and great glory for a thousand years. And then, yes, there will be a final rebellion. The devil will be 
released. Revelation 20 talks about that. But that rebellion is going to be quickly quenched and we will enter into the eternal state, the new heavens, the new earth. That is the hope. And Paul is saying, listen, Israel has fallen. You get to be saved now because of that. The gospel gets to go to you now. But when Israel is reinstated, it's going to be so much better. That's why we are still to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's why we're still to get the message out while we have time. Israel was cast away for a time so that God's judgment could be delayed. Now, Paul then enters into an analogy here in verse 16. And I don't want you to miss the forest for the trees. So let's read these verses together, and then it's not as complicated. This passage of Scripture is a very divisive passage, but it's not nearly as complicated as we make it. And so let's read it, and then we'll walk back through it together. Verse 16, For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. So that's analogy one, the lump. The lump, what lump? The lump of clay. What lump of clay? Chapter 9. Chapter 9, the lump of clay that he talked about in chapter 9. We'll come back to that in just a second. If the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, that's true. Because of unbelief they were broken off. And thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spare not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but towards thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. And if they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert caught out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Now, let's take off our biblical glasses for a moment and let's make sure that we don't have any smudges on them and no smears or stains so that we can understand clearly what Paul is talking about. He's using two analogies here, and these are Old Testament analogies. If we want to understand the analogy, we have to first interpret the imagery. So, the first fruits. Who are the first fruits? Well, that's back in chapter 8. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 23. Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. The first fruits are those of us who have trusted in Jesus as our Messiah, as our Savior. We've repented of our sin. We've recognized Jesus Christ 
Death and resurrection is the only way to be forgiven, the only way to have eternal life, the only way to God the Father, and we have accepted that. We have responded by faith. We've received God's grace, and we are the first fruits. We're not the final fruits, but we're the first fruits of God's harvest of the Great Commission of the gospel. We're the first fruits, all who have received Jesus by faith. Paul is saying, we are holy. We're set apart. God has a special purpose for us. We're chosen. We're chosen in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're chosen. You have a purpose. God has a plan for your life. We'll see that again when we get back to Ephesians and get into chapter 2. We are his workmanship, Ephesians 2.10 says, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're the first fruits. Number two, the lump of dough. We talked about this back in chapter 9. The lump of, of dough or clay is Israel. Israel present and future. Believing and unbelieving. The lump is Israel. Now remember when we talked about the lump of clay back in chapter 9, we saw the potter from Jeremiah, the Jeremiah Potter prophecy, the potter was working the clay and he was not happy with the thing that he had created. In fact, he created something that he intended to destroy. And then on the wheel, he destroys that vessel that he's been creating out of clay. But he doesn't then take the clay and throw it out. He continues to work the clay. And from that same lump, he creates a vessel of honor. And Paul says in Romans 9, Israel is that lump. And the same lump that God judged, the same nation, God is going to recreate into a glorious nation. God has not abandoned Israel. God has not thrown them out. God has not rejected them. God has not replace them. And so the lump here is Israel. Present Israel, which is a nation of unbelief largely, predominantly, and future Israel, which is unbelieving. Even in unbelief, Israel is a holy nation. And they are holy, again, not for salvation, but for service. They have a purpose in God's plan. That's, they are set apart among all of the nations of the earth this nation God is going to use from which to govern the entire world when Jesus comes back. This nation has received specific promises from God that he will keep because he is faithful. Israel is the lump. Number two, what is the root? Well, the root is the promises that God made to Israel through the fathers. That's back in chapter 9. Look back at chapter 9. One more time, verse 4, who are the Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption, 9-4, and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom are, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever, amen. Not as though the word of God hath not uh, taken effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all called children, but in Isaac thy seed shall be called. So, the root of Israel, 
both believing Israel and unbelieving Israel, is the promises that God made to Abraham and expanded in promises made to Isaac and then to Jacob and the promises that God made through Jacob prophetically to his sons at the end of Genesis, Genesis 49, and expanded on again in one specific descendant of Judah, a shepherd boy named David who God elevated to king. And God said to David, I'm going to establish your throne forever. And the promises made to one very important and specific descendant of David. Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, King Jesus, the promises that God has made to Israel through the fathers. That's the root. Now, what are the branches? The branches are coming and going. They're getting removed and they're getting replaced and they're getting returned. So who are the branches? What, what is going on when, he, when Paul's, why is Paul talking about an olive tree? Well, one of the things we learned from the Old Covenant, from the Old Testament, is that the olive tree was one of the symbols that God used for the nation of Israel. And so out of these promises that God has made, he has raised up an olive tree. But the branches here are all who are offered the blessings of the promise. Believers and unbelievers who are offered the promises. Now, remember, the whole reason we have Romans 9, 10, and 11 is because Israel rejected Messiah. And the whole question that arose was, well, is God done with Israel? Is God going to keep his promises to them? What about all the promises that God made to Israel? Is God going to keep them? And if not, what does that say about God? And if yes, then what does that say about God's plan? And God's word. The branches are those who are offered the promise. First of all, the natural branches, that's, those are the Israelites. And secondly, Paul calls us Gentiles wild branches. We're the wild branches. We come from a completely different tree. We weren't born as a descendant of Jacob. We're not, most of us, are not descended from Jacob. We're not part of the olive tree by nature but God is in his grace extending to us today the same offer of salvation that was extended to the nation of Israel in Acts chapter 2 the same offer that was extended after Israel crucified Messiah and he rose again and there were Hundreds of eyewitnesses, and they were doing apostolic miracles. And all of the people there on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came to earth as he had never come before, and he gave life to the body of Christ, the church, and all of what happened that day, and all of this evidence that Jesus is Messiah, and Israel still rejected. Messiah. They had the offer, but now the offer has been extended to all of us. And so we, we take the gospel everywhere. We're, we're commanded, Mark 16, 15, to preach the gospel to every creature. We're commanded in Matthew 28 to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe whatsoever thing he's commanded us, and to focus on the fact that he is with us until the very end of the age. All in the world now, 
have the opportunity, the invitation extended to come into the family of God, not just the nation of Israel. All of us have that invitation today. And so the branches here are not just believers. The reason that they were removed from the tree was not because they trusted in Messiah and then changed their minds. They were natural branches. They were part of the nation of Israel. But Paul says they were removed because they rejected Messiah. Not because they received him and then lost their salvation. But because they had been offered salvation as part of the nation of Israel and they rejected it. And so God blinded them. He hardened them. He removed their opportunity to respond immediately to the gospel. He didn't remove it forever. He didn't remove it forever, but he removed it for a time. Now, there's another thing that this teaches us as we talk about the removing and the replacing of the branches. What matters is not whether you are attached to the tree. What matters is, have you produced fruit? See, fruit is responding to the gospel with faith and receiving God's grace and being forgiven and being saved. But just because you hear the gospel every Sunday does not mean that you have received the gospel. Just hearing the gospel and knowing the right answers to the question does not mean that you are ready to meet your maker, Jesus Christ. Have you responded? Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Have you repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus? See, holy fruit comes only by saving faith. Holy fruit comes only by saving faith. You are attached by God's grace to the promises. You have the opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ. What have you done with that opportunity? Have you responded? Or have you been exactly like the Israelites in the first century, most of whom rejected Messiah? The invitation was made. The offer was given. Repent of your sin. Trust in Jesus as your Savior. Most of them said no. We saw why in chapter 10. Self-righteousness fanaticism, emotion, but not knowledge, prejudice against the Gentiles, thinking, well, I'm, I'm better in God's eyes just because I'm not a Gentile. And those barriers kept most of the nation of Israel from receiving their very own Messiah. And the warning here, Paul says, boast not against the branches, If you do not respond, you may lose the opportunity to respond just like they did. God may harden you. God may blind you. God may take away the opportunity for you to respond just like he did for them. And remember what we saw in chapter 9? God has every right to do that. God has a right to give mercy to whom he wants to give mercy. And he has a right to harden who he wants to harden. And we don't get to judge him because we didn't make him. Now, a lot of people believe in a Jesus that they've made up. He ain't going to save you. He ain't coming back for you. He's fictional. Might as well be trusting in King Arthur to 
rise from the dead and come get you. Holy fruit comes only by saving faith. This is the message that Paul, we're not going to flip a lot of places today, but, but I do want to go to Acts chapter 17 for just a moment. This is the way that Paul preached when he was preaching to lost people. Paul in Acts 17 is standing on Mars Hill in, in Athens during the glory of Athens. All that activity, all of those temples, all of those idols, the glory of that pagan nation. And Paul is invited because he, he, he didn't go there to preach, by the way. We find out he, he's, he went there on vacation because he was tired and he, and he wanted a break. And he thought, you know, I'm going to go to Athens. I'm going to take a little vacation from ministry. I'm going to take a break. And he got there and the Holy Spirit would not let him vacation and would not let him rest. And he was so grieved when he saw the lostness of the nation. And when he got the opportunity to preach, he didn't try to trick them into listening. He didn't talk about felt needs. and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Listen, that's true. But it's insufficient. Paul did more than that. Paul confronted their ignorance. In verse 23, I passed by... Be Beheld your devotions, I found on altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him, declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands, as though he need anything, seeing he giveth to, to life all, all to life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell all the face of the earth. He's determined the times appointed, the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord if, haply, they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. God created the world the way it is, and God divided the nations the way he did to, to give people the opportunity to seek him. God didn't create them without the opportunity and the ability to respond to the knowledge that he's given to all of us. Paul goes into detail in that in Romans chapter 1. We don't have time to, to go through that today. But Paul says, listen, God is reaching out to you. Verse 29, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device, and the times of this ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. Paul said this is a time of invitation. It's a time of grace. But grace doesn't mean that you're less accountable to God. It means you are now more accountable to God. God will be easier on those in judgment who lived before Messiah came than he will be with us. Because we now can look back at Messiah, his death, his resurrection. We look back at the cross. They were looking forward. They didn't understand. They had shadows and, and pictures in the Old Testament of Jesus. But we now have the real thing, the reality, the historical reality and so Paul says in verses 23 through 24 of Romans 11, Behold the goodness and the severity of God. 
Do not take God's goodness for granted. Please do not leave here today and take God's grace for granted. Because God's grace gives you actually more accountability, not less. We have the invitation. We have a responsibility. Those of us who have already accepted Christ as Savior, we have the responsibility and the privilege of being able to share the gospel with the world around us, being able to to invite people into the promises of Messiah. You can be forgiven. You can have eternal life. You can live forever in paradise with the Creator. And you will know forever what your purpose is because you can just go and ask Him. And you can glory in His glory and worship Him and see Him. And you're not going to have to worry about death anymore. And you're not going to have to worry about sickness. You're not going to have to worry about your finances anymore because you're not even going to have to worry about your sin anymore. This is, the, this is the, the invitation that we're given. And we, many times we don't bother to extend the invitation. But there are many, many people, they, they're, they're raised in churches all over our community. And they, and they learn that, and they hear that, and they know that. But they don't believe that. They don't respond to that. And we have a church today that wants to preach about the goodness of God. They don't want to talk about the severity of God. And that is tragic, and it has eternal consequences. I'm not enjoying talking to you about the severity of God, but I'm responsible before God to tell you the whole counsel of God, not just the parts that you want to hear. Do not take God's goodness for granted. You know what Paul says, or excuse me, well, some people think it was Paul. I I don't believe Paul wrote Hebrews, but you know what the author of Hebrews says? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which as the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? How shall we, we escape? Now, that book is written, it's for all of us, was written specifically to the Jewish people, most of whom were rejecting Messiah. This is written to Jewish believers or Jewish people who were seeking Messiah, and the writer is saying, listen, if you neglect this, if you think what God did in the wilderness for 40 years was hard on your forefathers, you better get straight what is awaiting you who have been given so much more opportunity, so much more knowledge, so much more grace. Don't reject God's grace. Now, I want to end on a positive note here. I know this has been a little intense. We're going to lighten up a little bit next week when we get back into the book of Ephesians and we talk about God's acceptance and we talk about the redeeming power and redemption that's in the blood of Jesus. But we want to end on a high note this morning as well. Israel's fall has a purpose, friend, but Israel's hope is found in only one place. Israel's hope is in their deliverer. Verse 25, all Israel will be saved. For I would not, brethren, Romans eleven twenty-five. 25, I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. This is a mystery. No Sunday night church tonight. I'd invite you back next Sunday night. Lord willing, we'll be talking about prophetic mysteries. This is a prophetic mystery. It's something that was hinted at in the Old Testament, but now revealed in the New Testament. 
Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the mystery anymore, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. Friend, you can have that invitation today. You have the opportunity, whatever you've done, to have your sins forgiven. The blood of Jesus is that powerful. And there's a day coming, though, what Paul says, when all of Israel is going to get it. Now it'll be the remnant. It'll be those that have trusted Messiah by faith, and God has spared them from judgment. The rest he's going to judge by sword and many other plagues in the book of Revelation. But those who remain will become the core of this nation, the literal nation of Israel, into the millennial kingdom. And Israel will be saved. He will take away their sins. Verse 28, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. The first century, the Jewish people who hated Jesus and rejected Jesus, they were the enemies of the church. And they persecuted the church. And tragically, historically, the church then began to persecute them, which was uh, a returning sin for sin. And so there is tragically today great animosity uh, between many Christians and many Jewish people, or Christian in name only oftentimes. But there's much animosity concerning the quote-unquote church on behalf of many Jewish families and communities because of the history that is behind there. But Paul says, listen, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as touching the election, God's purpose for them, they are beloved for the Father's sake because of God's promise to Abraham, his promise to Isaac, his promise to Jacob, his promises to Moses, his promises to David. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Listen, don't miss the mystery. Paul says God's grace towards the Gentiles should not lead us to think that anti-Semitism is okay. It angers me. It more than grieves me. It angers me when I see anti-Semitism rising up again in the church. It is demonic. It is demonic. And we, not, we need to reject that. Paul says don't be conceited because there's a day coming when the last Gentile is going to come to faith and Jesus is coming back for us. And we're going with him. And then God's going to return his attention to the nation of Israel. Don't miss the mystery. When Jesus comes back for the church, the blinders are coming off of Israel. Because, see, Jesus is going to do something that is going to impact the entire world. And every Jew is going to be confronted with the reality that we got what they were supposed to get. We're going to be with him. We're going to be gone. And that event is going to wake up a large part. Now, it's not going to wake up the entire nation. Some of them are going to die in unbelief. But many, many Jewish people, when it's too late to 
get on the rapture train, they're going to realize that they missed the bus. And they are going to begin to trust in Messiah. And this is what they're going to trust in. Jesus will keep all of his promises to Israel. God will keep every promise to Israel. And here's what they're going to know. See, we're looking at Israel. We're looking at how God has kept his faithfulness to Israel. They're going to be able to look at how God kept his faithfulness and promises to the church. They're going to be able to say during the great tribulation, look at the promise that God kept to his church, his bride. And if he did it for those Gentiles, he's going to keep his promises to us. He is coming back for us. That's what's going to get many of them through the tribulation. That hope that God was faithful to us. And because God was faithful to us, the church, he's going to be faithful to them as well. But know that Jesus will keep his promises because the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. We have not replaced Israel. We have been added in. We have been, some of you have done uh, remodeling, maybe of your bathroom or your kitchen. Some of you have done an addition onto your house. We are not just remodeling. We are adding on to God's house when we come as Gentiles into faith today. Jesus, though, will keep all of his promises to Israel. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 all of the promises of God are yes in Jesus. And let me end with this. Israel's God gets the glory. This is what it all comes down to. Why did God do it this way? So he can get the glory. You say, well, I don't, I, this is not how I think God should have done it. Unfortunately, God is not waiting for your input. Unfortunately, God is not seeking your counsel. Listen to what he says as we close today. Oh, the depths, this verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. God gets the glory. He wants to share it with you. But the invitation will not last forever. Would you stand as we close? Stand in prayer. Father, we're going to sing one hymn to, uh, this morning, God, to give people a time to respond. But God, help us to recognize, God, the incredible blessing that we have to be able to respond to the gospel. God, the incredible privilege that we have to be able to share this gospel with our friends and family who don't know you. But God, in all of that, may we never lose sight of your faithfulness, your goodness, your severity, ultimately, God, your glory. We love you. We thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior and would like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. We hope to see you soon, and until next time, stay faithful.